we're now expecting our nurses, especially, to document a lot. In fact, we document the most, I think, in terms of these EHRs. And we're asking our nurse leaders to audit, congratulate, coach, mentor folks using this data, being data-driven. Yet, how many managers, directors, CNEs actually get in this chart and get in the system and are proficient enough to point those things out? Hello and welcome to The Handoff, a podcast about the most critical topics in nursing. I'm so excited to be back for season six of the show and to welcome one of my friends, my colleagues, my buddies, my co-conspirators, Dr. Rain Soriano. Rain is the definition of someone who has carved out their own path in nursing, has continually leaned into his passions in order to build a career that has uniquely suited him. After an incredible 25 years at Kaiser Permanente, Rain is currently the Regional Director of Operations and Nursing Professional Practice at Kaiser Permanente Hawaii Region. It's a role that weaves together his interests and skill sets in education, leadership, informatics, operations, and management, and today we touch on all of those topics. Rain shares how he's seeing data, technology, and informatics impact the profession of nursing, from new grads all the way up to nurse leaders, as well as how living in Hawaii has impacted his experience of being a nurse and how Kaiser is thinking about staffing and scheduling. Thank you all for joining us for the new season, and please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the show, Rain. Hey, aloha, and thanks so much, Dan, for having me. It's always great to connect and talk about nursing, nursing leadership, and where we need to go, man. Yeah, love it. So Rain and I have a long history at Kaiser together. He was on the informatics team. I was on the innovation team. We worked really closely on a lot of different technology stuff and became friends and co-conspirators as we navigated the complex system of a large healthcare organization. We've authored a book chapter together, a couple book chapters together. And so we definitely have two sides of a great coin related to the technology and nursing. But before we dig into all that, Rain, I'd love to have you just sort of talk about your career path, because, you know, like me, you started in the ED and you sort of worked your way up and then you kind of shifted, went over to informatics and then ended up doing your PhD in that. So I'd love to hear your story. That's one of the beauties about nursing is that you could practically go anywhere and do a lot of things with the uh, nursing background. And like you said, you know, having started in the emergency department, I think, which truly matched my personality anyway. My mind, it just races all over the place. You know, I, I like to multitask. I love managing crises and just being the center of chaos to try and organize and put some sense into things. And so I think a lot of my career path and my adventures kind of follows that team in working in the emergency department, you know, and, and but while in the ED, I also fell in love with education. And I think that's where, you know, my path academically went towards, you know, research, getting a PhD. And truly the informatics thing, just like many people who fall into informatics came spontaneously as I was doing, a, I think it was an ACLS or a PALS class, somebody said, wow, you know, obviously you like teaching where you want to implement this EHR, you know, in a few hospitals, if you meaning 21. Yeah. <laughs> you mean an entire region. Right, right. <laughs> you mind, you know, joining us and co-leading this effort. And, you know, again, being from the ED, it's sort of like, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's knock this out. Let's see what, what happens. And, and as we were going from hospital to hospital, Dan, as you know, it became more clear to me that this was beyond going from paper 
paper to the computer, you know, because the initial thought when going live, especially we were one of the first installations of this major EHR vendor, you know, in, in the hospital space. And so, you know, for us, the thought was, oh, yeah, we're just going from putting things on paper and faxing stuff to putting it in a word processor or Microsoft Word, you know, and then soon it became sort of like, wait a minute. This actually enables us to connect with other people, look at the same chart at the same time, not have to run this, you know, really huge folder or folders, you know, up and down floors to make sure people have the right information. And it became eye-opening in a sense of the impact to, you know, what information can do when you make it portable, accessible, actionable, et cetera. And I think that really fascinated me from initially that informatics lens. And so after, you you know, deploying 21 hospitals, you know, and seeing sort of the early on the initial impact, I really wanted to study, well, if we have all of this information similar to our consumer lives, you know, how are we really managing and leveraging it to actually improve patient care and actually give people the right information at the right time versus throwing the kitchen sink of information at people and hope they know what to do with it, right? And so it, it just became a huge area of opportunity in terms of research. And because of my passion for education, and of course, leadership, you know, it's huge. That was another thing that really struck me is, gosh, you know, we're now expecting our nurses, especially to document a lot. In fact, we document the most, I think, in, in terms of these EHRs. And we're asking our nurse leaders to audit, congratulate, coach, mentor folks using this data, being data-driven. Yet, how many managers, directors, CNEs actually get in this chart and get in the system and are proficient enough to point those things out? You know, whether you're doing a great job or here are areas you need to improve on or here's our data and how we're doing. And that was rare, if not homemade, you know, in most organizations because there were no classes for leaders to navigate the EHR and, and leverage it in their roles. It was mostly how to document, how to find stuff, how to bill the right way, et cetera. So that became my journey. And then eventually my path made it back to the emergency department through informatics in that we started to look at things like social determinants of health. So I went back into the ED environment to really study things like homelessness and social determinants of health and using our data to really look at what were the barriers to health and why were people coming back into the ED or into the hospital and what can we do about that from a community and resource perspective. And then eventually made my way back to education. My, my, one of my initial passions were now with this nursing shortage and with the great resignation that we call it, the turnover, you know, how do we get back in and promote between new grad programs and really, man, just building a succession plan because you and I at some point, Dan, need to retire and open up that uh, cabana in the uh, Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Maui, you know, either or one's Maui, good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. Right, you got it. We have to. You have to create the future of the profession so you can leave it in good hands and go relax for a little bit. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, and you know, I love that path. I mean, you've jumped around and you have really sort of personified that nursing opens a lot of doors, and you don't have to have this linear path. And you know, you've done management, you've done informatics, you've done education, you've done resource, you've done social determinants. Now you're back to education and operational leadership. And I think that's just a cool way to think about it. And I think a lot of nurses think that you know, the only way out 
of the staff job is to either go the management route or go to the nurse practitioner route. And I think both of you and I have taken that non-traditional sort of route of, you know, all kinds of different things and kind of piece together this custom made career. That's it, man. And, you know, it's like operationally, we always talk about a speak up culture when it comes to speaking up about errors and, you know, safety concerns. But I think, you know, in a leadership perspective, we have to speak up as leaders when we see things. That's why I love following you and reading your posts, Dan, because when you see things that are directionally like, wow, are we really going back? And is this Groundhog's Day again? You know, or are we moving forward and really speaking up about what we need, especially when you look at the generations of nurses today, the types of educational resources, the way people learn and take in information, and the traditional succession paths in nursing that we need to let go of in many aspects in order to promote development and diversity and just, you know, really promoting leadership, I think, and making people feel confident that they can do this job and that they can lead because of their ideas and where they want to go with nursing and not get so stuck in just tradition so much, although tradition is important in some senses, based on what we're seeing in between technology, innovation, the you know use of AI, it's just amazing the, the speed at which people learn. And, you know, and that includes nurses, right? And, and our patients as well. Yeah, no, agreed. I think there's just so many more tools at your disposal and, and you can't know enough about care anymore. Like you can't memorize everything that happens in the ED or the ICU or the med surge unit even. Like you have to access this stuff and being proficient in that. I posted something recently, yesterday, I think around, you know, this new competency that, you know, nurses need to incorporate machine generated insights into their clinical decision-making. So that's the competency, one of the competencies we need to be pushing on in nursing school and beyond. And it got a lot of pushback. I mean, there's definitely nurses who have been around a while who posted on there saying, well, you're going to remove critical thinking from nurses and, you know, machines are only trained with blah, blah, blah data and nurses don't enter data. So anyway, we could go all day into that. stuff. But I think at the end of the day, like we have to start thinking about technology as superpowering our decision-making, not replacing it, but to augment it. And I feel like there's still two camps of like, I don't believe technology where we have to touch patients. We got to write it down, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then there's the other (laughs) camp of like, you know, technology can save everything. And then there's no like frameworks of connecting them in the middle. I don't know. What, what have you seen? And because you're much more deep into this than I am. I mean, what sort of trends are you seeing with our nurses in adopting technology to augment their decision-making? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that always fascinates me is, you know, from both sides is to your point from the nursing and nursing leadership perspective, it's tough to adopt uh, change. It's sort of like that philosophy of, of why fix what's not broken. When people have been working in a broken system, you get used to working with broken stuff, you know, and that's why we tape pens together. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Gary like around a, the highlighter. Right, still. right. <laughs> why do I need a stylus? I love my tape together pens. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's sort of like, that's the way we work. We work in a world of workarounds. And so, you know, no matter how good a technology or or solution is, it's tough to break through when what we've been doing for so long is still working, right? For me, you know, as we look at technologies introduced to nurses and in our environments, it's got to meet, you know, a lot of important criteria for it to break through. And as you know, A, it's got to be easy. I can't type in more passwords yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and go into overtime just because I, I now I have to chart, you know, more stuff. It's got to be easy and it's got to be meaningful when it comes to 
what are you taking away from my plate? You know, knowing that we already have full plates, you know, in terms of our day-to-day care and routines, it's like, what is this new tool or technology going to take away and maintain the quality or improve the quality of care and actually make it easy for me to spend more time with my patients or to actually go to lunch or use the bathroom? Take a break. (laughs) Right. And so it's the same for leaders. It's like, why am I still working with 10 different systems to get one thing done when we tout interoperability and, you know, the ease of use of a lot of these technologies, when you look at the consumer, you know, market or the, even the payment, you know, you can touch to pay, tap to pay, use your, you know, retina. I mean, it's one of those things where, wow, can we apply some of those tools into our world to make it, you know, a lot easier, like as simple as dictation, The fact that we're still typing and clicking when dictation tools are out there to be able to write notes, you know, transcribe notes and a lot of those things. It's just one of those things where, wow, you know, and I think that's where the value of having nurses such as in your field, Dan, with innovation, technology and and having nurses at the front lines of development and design are important because they can relate to the world of the bedside nurse, you know, or the manager or the educator and really be able to translate why this new thing, not only better, but will free up time for you to to be able to do self-care or actually take a break or or whatever. And that's what we need versus, oh, here's this thing. It it doesn't really make your job easier or improve quality, but you just have to type in 10 more passwords. But isn't it so cool once you finally get through the button. Right, right. And you know, you can't help but when you go to these conferences, that's what you see, right? It's like, wow, here's a free pen. And by the way, here's this new thing we've invented. Have you talked to nurses? No. Have you seen what we do? No. Uh, <laughs> but we have someone on the team who used to be a nurse, you know, but they were in home health and were, you know, selling something to the hospital. So there's a mismatch with the solution to what problems I think we're trying to solve. And that, that's what we're seeing still today, Dan. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there is a mismatch. I think that the companies building the systems don't understand nursing workflow and there needs to be some shifts there. You know, what are you seeing with the new grads? I mean, are they like demanding like, hey, I need, I'm going to use my phone at the nurse station no matter what your policy says and like I have all these apps and I'm looking it up or are they sort of being in, indoctrinated is probably the wrong word into the old world thinking? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Dan. And, and, you know, since being in Hawaii, there's a different flavor versus the mainland in that we don't have as many choices in terms of programs and in development. That's a big part of my job is trying to connect and, you know, really partner with not just the Hawaii State Center for Nursing and our friend Laura over there and the, the community. Who is also our, on the podcast. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And our labor partners. I mean, it truly takes a village, you know, to get any of the, these developmental programs done. And so when we look at new grads today, you know, as we study the needs of different generations, today's generations, they they want to know that they're part of something meaningful. They want to know that we're innovative in the sense of really taking into account that you don't need to read a 300-page book. Oftentimes, it's a YouTube video that they're learning from or, you know, something really quick. And so that's why it's, uh, you know, what, what I was actually glad to see is more and more use of the QR code. Remember the project you did with a QR code and I think yep. ROR supply? Yep, I mean, yep. that's becoming more standard today. You know, we finally caught up with the times in terms of making it easy. Again, make, make it easy 
easy for me to find information. And I think, you know, coming out of the last two years, man, and just having an environment where preceptors are burnt out, managers are burnt out, charge nurses are burnt out, educators are burnt out, because all we've been doing is education on PPE, what to reuse, what not to reuse, who needs the oxygen, who needs the ventilator. I mean, it's just been two years of just this purgatory of COVID because that's all that we could teach about or talk about. And so there was, you know, controversy around, do we pause clinical rotations, which a lot of programs did. And so, you know, a lot of the new grads that we're seeing now is, you know, Dan, they haven't spent a lot of time, you know, at the bedside with real people. It's It's been mannequins, you know, it's been simulations. And as great as those technologies and tools are, nursing is still about building that relationship and rapport with your patient. And I think in a sense, we're playing catch up. And so the new grad programs that we're running sometimes feels like finishing the fourth year or the last year of nursing school for the new grads today in that we're, you know, going back what we call back to basics, right? You know, here's how you establish that rapport. Here's that assessment, you know, and while the patient's screaming and writhing in pain, here's how you get your assessments done. Here's how to deal with family members who are stressed out and anxious. Because there's only so many things you can simulate and replicate in a fake environment, right? And so, you know, now that they're coming into this overly stressed, you know, environment where patients are sicker, you know, from an acuity perspective, you have families and patients who haven't been to the doctor or the hospital, you know, in a while because of the fear of COVID. So they're a lot, you know, sicker. And so it's almost like things are coming together where, you know, you almost have to take a step back and just absorb what's going on before customizing our new grad programs to do that, going back to basics. You don't have to focus necessarily on these hundred things. Let's go back to basics and (laughs) focus on things. I mean, we've talked about hand washing so much that my fear is that as things open up, you know, it's like, yeah, the mask thing might be going away in certain aspects, but we still have to wash our hands, everyone, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's sort of like, again, you know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater if we've learned anything. It's let's prioritize because. Oftentimes we get asked, you know, has has healthcare or nursing or operations really changed? It really hasn't. I think what the last two years has done, Dan, is it's made us refocus on the important things. And oftentimes those are the basic things, you know, that we've forgotten. And so people have forgotten that we have to document certain things or here's the protocol for this or, you know, whatever, just because we, again, we've been so focused on MABs, on vaccinations, on, you know, testing on that, you know, it's, it's reconverting our minds back to, again, the basics. And now we're seeing beyond COVID in Hawaii, you know, we're you know, RSV is blowing up in in terms of the pediatric population. There's a huge emphasis now on behavioral health because of the last two years and what remote work and just the depression of the economy and, you know, that's done to people. So behavioral health is huge as far as uh, what we're dealing with right now. So with the new grads that we're seeing today, it's how to skill them up in order to meet the demands of the patients that we're seeing. So high acuity, behavioral health, home health, you know, a lot of those things that the pandemic has really highlighted. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it is, there's this back to basics. And like you said, some of the new grads entering the workforce now didn't touch very many patients because of COVID. And so you have to sort of relearn things. And I think there's a big evolution there. And, And again, tech can 
support them in different ways. So I think those basic skills are key there. You, know, you mentioned self-care a lot, and that's been top of mind for multiple conversations that have gone on recently. I was just on an ANA California panel about it again, and it continues to kind of spin around. I was just texting with a colleague from a previous organization, and she's like, we're in this meeting, we're brainstorming all of the ways that we can retain nurses. And they're like back rubs during the shift and like pizza and what, you know, like all this stuff. I'm like, haven't we tried all this stuff before? And it just like, doesn't land. <laughs> the, the pizza parties, the ice cream carts, like I think the healthcare workforce are over that and want like real system changes, which you talked about a little bit as well. What are you seeing as far as self-care and how are you approaching it over in Hawaii, both personally as well as for your teams to sort of, you know, renew and shake off the pandemic and start building some of those skills so that they can stay fresh and engage with their patients? Yeah, no, great, great question, Dan. I, I think personally, as, as I shared with you, you know, for me, living in Hawaii and not going to the beach or the ocean at a regular clip is, you know, almost like ironic, you know, it's like, well, why, why did I move here if I wasn't going to enjoy nature or the beach or be out, you know, and, and really enjoy being in, in Hawaii. So for me, I think, you know, between just getting outside and then being in the water, which I love anyway, you know, I joined a canoe club and just, you know, between uh, being out in the ocean and just appreciating life and just living that mindset of gratefulness that I'm still alive, my loved ones, my friends, they're still healthy and alive you know, and, and a lot of them have made it through COVID and the pandemic, you know, and just being thankful and just reflecting on how small things really are when it comes to challenges and problems compared to the world out there. And it's taught me a lot about leadership as well, as I posted, you know, recently on LinkedIn in terms of the different roles leaders have to play is similar to being in a canoe. You, you're either navigating, you're leading, you're the engine and, and really reinforcing something. And so it's being able to work as a team, I think, to play different roles. And I think in terms of at work and, and really solving for the resilience and the uh, attrition problem, there's a lot of back to basics there as well, because it's checking in with individuals as to where they are. Because one of the things, as you know, the pandemic did is it not only rocked us from a profession of nursing, but our own personal lives. You know, people had to go home and become teachers, you know, and it's like you know, your kids were now home while you were trying to provide telehealth or virtual care or try to change your schedule and try to figure out how am I going to work night shifts and then be a teacher in the morning to my kids. And it just, you know, burnt a lot of people out because they were burning the candle on both ends. I think it's understanding where people are, you know, now that we're hopefully we're coming out from underneath this and then customizing sort of what they need. So is it a scheduling issue? Is it, gosh, you have all this time off saved up that you couldn't take because we needed you working right now. We're holding on to some of our travel travelers just to be able to give people a break, you know, and, and get them that vacation that they've wanted, even if it's a staycation, you know, just to get away from here and unplug. And then, you know, for our managers and leaders, it, making sure and, you know, really being hard on folks responding to emails when they're supposed to be off, you know, why are you answering text messages and emails? You know, I thought we had coverage for you, you know, because it's a slippery slope when there's a perception of that presenteeism, you know, where, you know, I have to always look like I'm on or people don't think I'm doing my job. And it's like, no, that's not the case at all. You're on 
vacation or PTO so you can unplug and get away from here. You know, one of my old managers used to tell me, Rain, the only way you can tell that you had a good vacation is when you forget your password. (laughs) (laughs) And she was so right. Because if you can, you know, be so unplugged and off that you forget your password or passwords and you're not quite sure what the thing is to do and to, you know, prove expenses or or do your compliance training, it's like, wow, I was gone for pretty good time. You know, and unplugged, you know, and I think you have to plant seeds in front of you to look forward to. And so for my team as well, Dan, I'm very purposeful about asking them, when's your next time off? When's your next vacation? And not proceeding with the conversation until they can come up with a plan or some type of schedule to where they have some time off, you know, and what are you going to do? And being purposeful that when I'm rounding or checking in with them to ask them, how was your vacation? Not even talking about business or what we're doing in terms of the next initiative, but how are you? How was your vacation? What'd you do? And when's your next one? Because, you know, look, we're here right before the holidays again, and time's just going to keep flying. So unless we we take care of ourselves, man. No one's going to do it for us. And the work's only going to grow now that we're opening back up again. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're seeing volume return and continued short staffing and things. Have you guys played around with different shift types and things as well? I'm sort of trying to meet that, you know, I don't know, break in the 12 hour kind of nostalgia that we have in the profession, but trying to find different shift lengths or shift types that allow people to not be so, you know, in the fire all the time. I, I don't know. Have you, have you played around with any of that? Working closely with our labor partners, you know, and really looking at being creative as far as what we can do for folks, especially if it's, you know, they've been working full time plus the last couple of years. It's like, wow, how can we provide them respite? But I think the approach that we're also taking is with our friend Julia, you know, and looking at things like, you know, can we expand our float pool? So we're not really having, you know, as much per diem staff, but a float pool that can really be dedicated to giving people coverage, whether that's maternity leave, FMLA, you know, PTO, and expanding that float pool to cover not just the hospital, but eventually our nurses in the ambulatory spaces as well, so that they have more options for coverage. Because right now it's like, you know, the person you're asking to cover you for vacation is probably also in need of vacation. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, you just know. Yeah. It's like rub yeah. it in. Can man. you cover me, but this is like right? your eighth shift in a row. <laughs> yeah. and so that's kind of what we're dealing with. And so we're trying to, you know, not only work on customizing schedules, but looking at people uh, in terms of God you know, how many float nurses would help to give people a break in med surge, telemetry, ICU, ER, et cetera. And then let's grow that, you know, because then that helps us from, you know, decreasing our need for travelers, helping with sick time because people are, can take care of themselves and not feel like they have to use sick time to get time off. And so it, it decreases pressure from a lot of fronts, you know, for us. So that's a huge investment and a huge focus for our CNE and our operations. And for those who've been, you know, working for so long that, you know, we hear a lot about the great resignation. And whenever you hear buzz about retirement, you know, it's having conversations with your most senior staff to say, hey, 
what if we get creative and instead of working 40 hours a week, can you work X number of hours, but then have the rest be preceptor time or be a mentorship so that we don't lose you altogether. We leverage your knowledge and expertise to teach the next generation and these new grads who really haven't had, you know, real clinicals. And it's really refreshed a lot of folks who were feeling like, gosh, I'm just so burned out from the shift work. Can I do something? So it's reigniting their passion for education, for precepting, and it gives them hope because it's like, wow, I'm training the person that's going to be covering my, my vacation, you know, in the future, you know, succession here. And so those are some of the, I think, biggest things we've been focusing on, Dan. That's awesome. And one thing, there's definitely a different way of life in Hawaii and definitely a different culture, the family and the, and the island sort of coming together as one big community. Have there been things that you've learned since moving there that you've incorporated into sort of that self-care and employee onboarding and kind of building that team around you that you've learned from the island culture? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's such a, I mean, literally a geographically small area compared to coming from Northern California, right? And so the chances of seeing a coworker or your patient or patient's family at Target or at the grocery store is pretty high. And so that service, that patient engagement, the care you give in the hospital is very important as far as our reputation and just making sure we don't burn those bridges because the likelihood that you're related to or you went to high school with, or you know their relative, or they were your teacher, is really high. And so that feeling of community is so huge here that I think that bleeds into the care that we provide and the quality. And so people take that really seriously, you know, when we're trying to improve something or, you know, and and the feedback loop, especially, you know, as far as, gosh, you know, I was in the hospital and here's what I experienced. And so that spreads like wildfire because it's such a small place. And so I think you know, that's one of the things. And and I think culturally, there's so many multi-generational households that, you know, we talk a lot about acute care at home. You know, a lot of these initiatives now where, you know, they're trying to really get the most bang for your buck in terms of what can we do at home to prevent hospitalizations or ED visits. And so here, you know, what we're seeing in our workforce is a lot of them actually are caring for parents, grandparents at home as well, who are Kaiser members. And so it's sort of like, wow, Wow, you know, it's a ripe environment to actually test a lot of these technologies, innovations, uh, models out with our own staff who are caring for their own family, their own parents or grandparents at home, because that's a reflection of the communities we serve. And there's this thing about the Hawaiian culture and really learning that as well in terms of, you know, ironically here in Moanalua Valley, where our hospital is, Dan, it was a valley of healing and the water is a huge symbol of that healing. And so having a hospital where you're in a valley of healing is so symbolic that any changes to our structure and in our architecture, we consult with the native Hawaiians and the community in terms of, is is this okay? Is this aligned with the culture? And, and, And so that's been such a wonderful learning for me and terms of the meaning of the culture and the community as it stands with what we do here in the hospital and in our operations. And so it's, it's just been wonderful. And so, you know, with many organizations, in fact, most organizations now focused on diversity, inclusivity, you know, and equity, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of healthcare today, this is such an awesome 
place to learn that, not just from learning the Hawaiian culture, but because we're in such a melting pot when it comes to the workforce, the communities we serve. And of course, you know, the tourists that come through Hawaii, as you know, I mean, they come from everywhere. And so it's like, you have to be prepared to meet the needs for many cultures, many backgrounds, generations, et cetera. So it's, it's been a huge learning for me as a leader and for us, I think, yep. No, I love that. That's great. And yeah, that whole aspect of Ohana and and it is small. I mean, one bad experience at the Kaiser Hospital can spread across multiple families. You know, like you got to be on your game and that's right. It's different because there's only a few choices. And I think, you know, we talked about this with Laura too. It, you know, it's rural. There's a lot of rural aspects and it's hard to get. I mean, we drove up to the North Shore when we were out there a couple of weeks ago and you, know, you drive through little tiny towns that are an hour away or more from the nearest facility and the access. And, and it's not like you can just jump on the 405 and drive down the, you know, drive on the freeway. You got to go through all these tiny one lane roads and backwoods and stuff. And That's it, yeah. um, it just, it's a, it's a whole different challenge and, and you sort of have to be ready for all that. And then like we talked about before in those rural areas or communities, how do we work with their high schools and their schools to really promote healthcare jobs early on? Because the only chance you're going to get someone to stay long-term in those areas, you know, as we see today, as if they're from those areas, you know, and from those communities, you know, if, if they become the doctor or they become the nurse or the healthcare leader or they're the entrepreneur who wants to open a clinic from that community, it's because it's like they have this burden learning platform to give back to their community. That's been the challenge for places like the Big Island and in many rural parts of Hawaii today is trying to attract, especially in our specialty areas, whether it's physicians or nurse practitioners or therapists, behavioral health is how do you get them to stay in such a rural community in Big Island or in Kauai or you know what I mean, especially if they're just starting out in their careers, right? And so it's like, wow, well, the only chance sometimes we have is to make sure that they're from those communities and that they're growing from those communities and they see the plight and the need in those communities. And now we've given them a chance to go back to make a difference. And so how do we invest, you know, in those opportunities? So that's huge as well. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. Well, Rain, we're at the close of our time together and we like to end each handoff episode with what would you like to hand off to our listeners? What's that one nugget? that you want them to walk away with from our conversation? Wow. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, you know, when, when you look at the great resignations and a lot of people ask, what keeps you in it? You know, what keeps you in nursing? What keeps you coming back every day? What gives leaders, nurse leaders, you know, hope uh, for the future, especially with the last couple of years we've been through. And I think just, again, getting back to basics, you know, we're a profession of caring, you know, that saying no one cares how much you know until they know you care. That's it, man. And it's like, that's got to translate to each conversation, each relationship, each initiative, anything you go into. If you don't, care about what you're doing or who you're doing it for, then we're in the wrong profession, you know? And I think that's the fire that can overcome burnout and exhaustion. And because if, you know, sometimes caring too much is also tiring and that's why self-care comes in, you know what I mean? Yep, <laughs> so yep. I think caring is, is a, a huge thing, you know, that we need to get back to and caring for our ourselves, caring for each other, caring for our communities, and of course, you know, our colleagues and our, our nurses and staff. So I think, you know, just keeping it simple, man, and, and having fun because you never know, today might be the day. So 
you know, that we start our cabana in, in uh, Maui. <laughs> 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 One day, Rain, we will One do day. a cabana. Even if it's a pop-up cabana, that's right. we're going to do right. it. We're going to do it. With those floating bars or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Rain, it's so great to have you on the show. And thanks so much for sharing your knowledge. You epitomize an awesome career path, really staying grounded and preparing the future of our profession, which is awesome. I know you're on LinkedIn and other places. So find Rain out on social media. Check out his book chapter. He's authored a lot of articles. He's got a great message out there around the use of informatics to enhance leadership and nursing practice. And just really appreciate your time today, Rain. Thanks so much, Dan. And we'll see you soon, okay? Let me know if you need anything. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of The Handoff. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe and receive new episodes at www.thehandoffpodcast.com.